deliveries don't give you fucking, they don't give you anything, right? Uh, they give me, they just like call me and then I better know everything off the top of my head, whether I'm on the golf course, which a lot of times that's when it was <laughs> or wherever I'm at in life. So I, dude, I've been in literally casino parking lots and just like stepped out, taken a radio interview, everything's at the top of my head. And then we go from there. So, uh, I do appreciate the show sheet, but, but like most of the time I'm ready anyways. Let's go, man. We're ready to go. Let's fire this thing up. District, you know the Pope listens. Dynasty, our religion, for the blokes missing on all of these trades, on all of these plays, on all of these grades. By the end of the day, y'all getting played. So, what you gonna do next? Try to fill up that flex. Send the homie a text. That trash offers the best. You try to make it complex. Then they text you back. Now all of a sudden, they don't make any sense. <laughs> Broaden your horizons, boy. Dynasty's not for the Simons, boy. These trades not for consignment, boy. Respect your opponent, y'all some piranhas, boy. This my advice from me to you. Open up your cute little podcast queue. Search up G-O-A-T District, my dude. Pop it in your ear, man. Y'all know what to do. It's the... And I always be traded. Traded. And I always be traded. Traded. And I always be traded. Y'all try to betray them, but first you gotta bait them. Bait them. Fish. What is up, Fantasyland? I'm JD. I'm here with my boys, Theo and Andrew. We are Goat District. Welcome back. If you're back, welcome new. If you're new, smash the like, smash the subscribe. Guys, we're fresh off of two monster shows. Nelson Sousa gave us a buck 40. And then we had the huge Millie Billy episode with all the monsters, all the sharks, the high stake sharps doing an, a live FFPC football guys go check out the hard way guys tonight we have another monster show it's the three pete theo this is for sure one of our favorite guests i know we say this often but this man to come back three times says a lot we appreciate his time let's roll out the red carpet and walk him in properly yeah so we have john daigle from four for four back in the goat district for a third time the last time john was on uh, Andrew, JD, and, and John and I were galaxy braining some FFPC playoff winners. Uh, we had a blast doing it last time. Uh, now we have so much going on during the summer with all these underdog tournaments, getting ready for redraft. Um, we're excited to have uh, John back in the district tonight. And, and welcome, John. Thanks for coming on. And I never toot my own horn. Enough people in social media like tout their wins. I never do that. If people trust me, they trust me. They trust that I have skin in the game no matter what I tell people. And you can tell like in DFS and betting in FFPC leagues, if I'm winning, you're winning because I literally stand by everything I do. But I will say, remember, I was on that show and we did call together Mike Evans over Rob Gronkowski as the lower rostered individual because even though his poor splits we admitted this at the time too against man coverage we thought given that a b godwin and fournette were all going to be out they were just going to hammer evans targets and we saw 16 and 10 targets against darius slay and jalen ramsey in the postseason so we definitely got that one right 100 and this year we're going to put a team together that's going to take it down you can write it down in ink um we're, we're going to come back and get john back for that one but uh mm -hmm. that was a lot of fun that was absolutely a lot of fun 
Right now, you're doing some awesome work over at 4 for 4. Thank you. Um, you're dropping podcasts on Mondays and Thursdays, correct? Correct, yes. Thursdays in particular, that is the special John and John episode with myself and the great John Paulson, who has actually been in Fantasy Pros Ranking Contest Top 5 over the last decade in accuracy, which is good because projections is never something I have done uh, and so to now have them behind me as like a force field that I could then take the data and use my own game theory, psychotic brain and parse through everything and then spit them back out at a, how to turn them actionable for different scoring formats and high stakes leagues. It's helped out. It's helped me out, literally helped me grow my game so much. So I'm so happy to be there. Yeah, the John and John uh, podcast was awesome. Um, and anybody who hasn't listened to those, it's a it's a really nice dynamic, and it's really great content. Uh, and un- unlike our, our podcast, they're they're nice and consolidated. You'll be in and out in less than an hour, which is which is appreciated sometimes. Um, maybe you could tell us a little bit um, about some of the written work you're doing over at Four for Four. Um, you recently released your underdog ranks. Um, before I think you'd been doing some tiers of positions. You you finally released them all. You got the underdog ranks. Um, what was your biggest takeaway from doing this process? Uh, and maybe you could share a couple of players in each position that kind of stand out to you as where you might have them ranked versus consensus. As I tell everyone, I still have skin of the game at FFPC and drafters. Uh, and I'm trying to get into some other formats this year as well that I was lighter on in past years, but really they got renamed to the underdog rakes and tears because as the GOAT district found out, we have partners now. So it's just better to to help out your partners. So underdog's a partner. Thus, these tiers are still best ball tiers all around, but they are really specifically for half scoring PPR and more importantly for large field tournaments. That's why I always think it's best to take stands in my position. And even if you go to the 44.com website and you go to our tools section, there is a tool called rankings. And if you, then you can spit out the CSV of those rankings. And it's actually the top 250 that I've manually curated via ADP at underdog and Paulson's projections saying, Huge. I know these guys are going here, but I actually don't think they should be. And we should be pushing this guy up instead. And I'm, I'm constantly fine tuning it even like, making sure I'm updating it because I actually have that CSV plugged into my own rankings because I play so many 16 and 12 team leagues as well just to make sure everything's sharp. And so all the tiers are there now. Uh, actually tied in, I don't think it's published yet, but it is edited. It's in the cooker, probably like by the time this show ends, by the time people are listening this Friday morning, it'll be there for everyone. But for me, I love doing it because what gets lost in the fold every single off season is, are the splits and when like things happen, right? So it's easy to look at Final Fantasy scores, but we know that's not true. Like we've already gone away. Most of us in the industry understand that saying like Zeke was the RB20 or whatever is not correct because it always comes down to like why and when this player was good. Why is the most important part? So like we can say, okay, well, Zeke was actually the RB5 in fantasy points per game until through week five until he got that knee injury. And then all of a sudden he was no longer good anymore. So it's okay. Like we have to understand though, why these things happen. And that's why I love doing these tiers because it allows me to, with my news background, also at Roto world, I can pretty much like try to jam in as much information to a jar as possible and get you out of there in a couple sentences, hopefully understanding the entire story of that player's season. And so that's why I actually love doing it because then 
I can reference it. I can see what happened with the team and with the player, and it just helps me out a ton. So, yeah, every, everything's always there. What stood out to me, though, the, the next part of your question was really nothing so much in quarterbacks right now. Uh, whether we're reaching on Josh Allen, I'm not, I'm not sure. I think quarterback is actually fine right now. But really what we're seeing is yet again a movement to wide receivers, in particular an underdog. Because I've been in the FFPC drafts, like all of you, and it's still practically, for the most part, running back heavy. But right now, underdog is still pushing up wide receivers in particular. And I still, although I'm a pragmatic drafter, and do believe in zero RB when the time calls for it. This year, the time calls for it, like, from to the 10 spot on, 10, 11, 12. But, like, it's still, at the end of the day, a half PPR league. And we also still know, historically, running backs have higher ceilings than wide receivers. It's just that running backs are much more volatile than wide receivers. But the whole point of a top-heavy draft, the puppy is 111,000 entries. The best ball mania and underdog is 460,000 entries. Who cares about average scores and being consistent? I want volatility. I want to take on all the risk and take on the boomer bust options at the running back position, hoping I get them right. If I don't get running backs right, I'm already burning that $25 anyways. And so that's kind of the way I've been approaching it. I've still been taking running backs heavy because I pretty much make my cutoff at Austin Eckler or Najee Harris, like before the first eight picks. And then I'll try to sneak in wide receivers along the way. But that's kind of how I've been handling it so far. Nice. Um, you've also have a, a it's an it's a available carries, air yards, and vacated target um, tool that you have, and basically it seems like you're running that over at four for four. Yeah. Um, what are some situations that you're looking at um, in terms of vacated targets or vacated uh, carries or available air yards? And are there any under the radar situations right now that maybe people are not you know playing as heavily? So what makes that those trackers fun, and obviously for those that don't know, available targets is our targets missing from last season's production, thus telling us this team has this many running back, wide receiver, tight end targets missing from last year. So the opportunity is there for the players that they may have picked up through the draft or free agency. But also, and here's the fun part, I have added context, which is clearly needed, in these columns before. But the issue is when I add context, people still, a few will still combat. And so what I found better to do, what I do now, is just update the data for everyone to use throughout the offseason and then I get out of the way. It's like I, I've compared it to dropping a stake between 12 lions and letting them battle it out. Like, here is your stake. This is the data you want. And now you figure it out. It's, it's very obvious to look at like the Ravens having the most available carries and vacated carries missing from last season because they cut all four dusty running backs. Although I still do think Tyson Williams is good. And not just going to, because I made a poor pick in a zero RB draft with you uh, last year, Theo, you were drafting across the room from me yeah. on the main event Friday morning, but I still had like sixth round Tyson Williams, I think eighth round Leonard Fournette, but sixth round Williams. And it turns out that didn't matter at all. Um, but they got rid of all four running backs that had carries last year. And now they bring back, of course, both J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards. So we can easily say, well, those actually aren't vacated carries because they're, they're going to go right back to Dobbins and Edwards. We don't have to parse through that situation at all. But I think using a the tracker, for instances, like the most available carries inside the five, like that helped me figure out James Conner last year because 
we can then say, oh, well, like this player doesn't fit this profile. For instance, uh, Chase Edmonds last year, now we look back, right, and Chase Edmonds only has five career carries inside the five-yard line. Like, he never was treated as that type of player that was ever going to get those carries. So we should have been higher on James Conner in the first place, even though Edmonds did return value in PPR. But that's kind of how I look at, let's say, the Chiefs this year, right? Uh, missing Daryl Williams, who had a team-high 14 carries inside the five last year. Clyde Edwards-Lair, since his rookie year week one and we all remember this because it was the pandemic the heart of the pandemic against the texans in an island game on thursday night and he had seven carries inside the five yard line and couldn't punch one in and then everyone assumed he was the worst running back ever over the week they still might be true that actually might happen by the way but the fact is since week two of his rookie year clatter was only has five career carries for his entire career inside the five yard line from that point forward. And so to me, that tells me in adding Ronald Jones, they are still never going to use CEH for those money touches. And Ronald Jones has that opportunity in front of them at a good ADP. And so that's kind of how I use those trackers uh, for targets as well. We know like the Titans, they lost AJ Brown and Julio Jones. So, very clearly the most, let's say, air yards available in the league. And so then we're left questioning if Traylon Burks is the guy to naturally soak that up, or is it going to be someone like Robert Woods, who we think is like the only actual competition outside of Traylon Burks to soak up those targets since we're not trusting Nick westbrook kind right, to take those targets. And so are we asking then, is Robert Woods' ADP like a great value? And so that's, that's just how I handle those things right now. That's awesome stuff. And on the on the uh, the John and John uh, podcast, you guys went in a little more in depth of that Kansas City situation. Um, it was great. It was great stuff. Anybody who wants to hear a little bit more about the Ronald Jones Ceh uh, talk can go back and listen to that one. I love it. I, I, I want to actually go back to uh, to your rankings a bit because I was checking. You got a question out. there too, JD. Once you're done, yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh God, and, I'm gonna get torn apart. Okay. Yeah. No, no, not 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 at all. I actually, actually liked. I'll start with something I really liked. I liked Lamar at QB two, big time. Um, maybe talk to me about that. I know you actually approach it from the running game approach uh, in that offense. How, how do you get uh, Lamar in your two spot at the QB? Well, just think about how much had to happen for the Ravens to give Lamar Jackson. 32 and a half pass attempts per game, which are five more than he ever had in any season in his career. They had to have their offensive line fall apart, their running back room fall apart, and their defense fall apart. And that's what led them to have so many negative game scripts. And through week nine, Lamar Jackson, Marquise Brown, we're definitely going to talk about him later, don't worry. Like, they were just fine. This offense was cruising because we got jailbreak Lamar that we saw in the postseason against the Titans. Like, it may be inefficient, but when you give Lamar freaking Jackson 50 attempts, he's going to be okay. 32 and a half attempt Lamar Jackson, still averaging 11 carries per game, he's going to be okay. I don't care about efficiency whenever he's getting that kind of touches. But overall... Everything had to fall apart, and I don't think that happens again this year. But because of that, and because of Tyler Huntley stepping in, now he's getting discounted, and I disagree with that notion, given that in his MVP year, he only averaged 27 pass attempts per game. We don't care about that. It is still that 11.1 carries per game he's averaged over the last three seasons in his career. That's what we were hanging on to. And so now we can basically get a little discount that we always wanted on the Ravens offense. I initially came into this offseason even wanting to fade Mark Andrews since his splits with Tyler Huntley were so extreme the opposite way. Uh, they were bizarro Marquise Brown, and that Brown was so much better with Lamar Jackson, the wide receiver six in particular in fantasy through week nine until Lamar Jackson got injured. But overall, 
the the rooms are now giving us a discount, in particular for Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes. Everyone, I do love Justin Herbert, but everyone's really high on him. And uh, you know, outside of just being an amazing player, I, I'm not sure why for fantasy, given that he doesn't really provide the rushing floor that Murray and Lamar do in particular. So that's why I'm high on Lamar. And I mean, we were just talking Herbert about. I'm sorry. Three, right? So no, I was just gonna say you have Herbert at three, so it's not like you, you got him at nine. Right. Or you know, yeah. yeah. We were just talking about this with, with Andrew and and uh, and Dan and and uh, JD. Uh, we were all just talking about how the Chargers are like at like their max value. Like if you want to draft any single Charger right now, they're all expensive. There's no values for Chargers besides Gerald Everett. Uh, everybody is just kind of like at the very top uh, of where you would think they would go. Um, it's it's just an interesting situation, but I, I love even, the Lamar calls. Even maybe, you maybe say, not Everett. Maybe not Everett. He might be the only guy that's not. Even though you say that, though, like we still get a little bit of a ceiling. Like I don't think Keenan Allen's going where he should go, and all because he'll be, I believe, it's thirty-two this year, right? Um, but five consecutive seasons, at least six catches per game, like that, that matters. And like, don't get me wrong, I'm still higher on guys like Alan Lazard, for instance, like, like. I can look and say he literally has never averaged four catches per game and four seasons in the league. So, like, why do I care about this player who also has never been a touchdown scorer and yet scored eight touchdowns last year? But at the same time, the opportunity is there. So I will be higher on him. That's totally fine. But right now, you, I do agree. People are, in my opinion, overvaluing Mike Williams, who I do like. But, like, Keenan Allen has been consistent for his entire career. And we finally get him with Justin Herbert for a second season – and, or for a third season, and we do know that 13.5 fantasy points per game, Allen's averaged, and 29 career starts with Herbert. So even in a PPR, half PPR league, that type of floor with an explosive ceiling if he's healthy, I still value that, and I actually think he can go higher, honestly. There, we were, we, the uh, the Keenan Allen, Mike Williams ADP right now is like, they're literally wide receiver 12 and wide receiver 13 on underdog. It's like, you have to like one or the other. They're right next to each other. The situation is weird. It's kind of like Cup and Woods last year where they're literally like right next to one another. Um, so I don't know. I think there's value to be had there. I lean Allen. Um, I know there's some people on Mike Williams now. Um, it's it's like the three-year age difference. But like Air Yards was pretty close to one another and Keenan Allen still had the, uh, still had the you know, the higher target share. So it's an interesting one. How about you, Andrew? Which, which side are you on with the Mike Williams, Keenan Allen? Definitely Keenan Allen. Yeah, I, 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 I don't even, I'm not minding the, the age gap. I, you know, everyone's put the splits up and I don't know, totally believe in them, but you know, after the first, what, six games of Mike Williams and him trailing off, I think that that's more prescient than the, than the six games that he was on fire or so. I, I don't know where it's coming from, but for some reason, like we are now getting discounts on players who are 29 and older. And it's like, yeah. these, these players are still in their prime. Like you don't want touchdown scores in their prime. Like I'll and, gladly take them. And Allen was never based on speed anyways. It was just his precise right. route running. So, yeah. He's just, he's just good at football. That's okay. If we, yeah. if we, if we stay in the, the, the AFC West here and we look at Denver Sutton and Judy kind of similar Theo going like, you know, what receiver 23 and 25 right now on FFPC. I'm just looking at a board in front of me. And I know I've, I've made that decision. We've seen Sutton kind of creep up past Judy now um, in some draft boards. How do you feel about the two receivers? And then you've got Javante Williams. I saw surprisingly, I agree with you 100% that he's, uh, you've got him outside of the top 15 even. You've got him as RB17. So tell us about the Denver offense, John. So Russell Wilson has been top two in total end zone targets in every year since 2018. And then 
as I note in the column as well, he was the only quarterback in the entire league to throw for 30-plus touchdowns in four consecutive seasons. And he almost did that for a fifth consecutive season last year if he wouldn't have tried to play through that mallet finger from Week 10 on and just been totally inaccurate. I think the, the Lions game really was the only one that the Seattle's offense exploded for in the second half. But overall, like we are now taking this player we know is still an elite quarterback and finally throwing in him into not only the best surrounding offense situation his entire league, but the best play calling in his entire league too, because you can't get worse than the number of OCs he's rolled through and Pete Carroll's stubbornness to run the ball no matter what. And so I just want to bank on the Broncos offense overall. And that's what's funny because you try to parse through them then and ask, okay, which one or which two does Russell Wilson drag along with him? And it is Tim Patrick who's led this team it's shocking. He's led this team in receiving touchdowns in back-to-back years with five and six touchdowns. That's not even a lot, but he led the team. Whereas we have Jerry Judy, as I note in the column again, th- only three top 24 finishes as a wide receiver two in 26 career games. Like, you wouldn't think that. And also, I know he's on the rookie contract, but they also did just give both Tim Patrick and Cortland Sutton a combined $53 million guaranteed. And then also Sutton, who I've been high on for the past two months. I've always been higher on Sutton than Judy. And now their ADPs are like out of control where it's kind of hard to get either of them. But the fact was like everyone was rating Sutton for his performance from Drew Locke when I've, I've never thought that's fair. And I've always thought, even when I was analyzing rookies for NBC, like when I wrote up their rookie profiles, Sutton was the better player than Judy anyhow. And now he finally has this individual in Russell Wilson who not only throws the end zone, but has also been extremely accurate deep historically outside of, again, playing through that mallet finger from week 10 on. And whereas Sutton's career... 16-yard depth of target, never mesh with Drew Locke. That's why he was only a top 38 receiver in one of nine starts. It meshes perfectly with Russell Wilson, and Judy doesn't threaten that at all. That's the best part. And so that's why I'm still going to be higher on Sutton than Judy, but I don't mind sneaking in uh, Tim Patrick at the end as well. And more importantly, it's become a running joke now for best ball because, again, we are in this hyper bubble. It's the slow month of June when we have another month of this guy. So, like, don't go crazy yet. I'm trying to remember that uh, it's going to be the slow month where we get into best shape of his life and you're too low on season. That's all anyone talks about. But week 17 has become a laugh. Everyone's talking about that now for best ball championships, even though it is true. Like, we can ask anyone in the world what they believe will happen in week 17 and the only thing, literally the only thing, we know right now that they will be 100% correct on are the teams that play. Um, barring like some crazy circumstance, but even in a pandemic, the NFL didn't move games. They didn't change teams. They may have postponed them for a couple days, but those teams played each other. And that's why week 17 is so important to put yourself in position. If you happen to get lucky to get there, why not put yourself in a plus EV position to then win in that situation? But why I love the Broncos is because if you look at their three best ball playoff games it is the cardinals the rams and the chiefs all of those are up tempo situations and not only that i don't only like sneaking in the week 17 stacks that everyone's doing with the broncos and chiefs like if we're taking on the broncos let's take it all in let's t- let's get let's 
let's benefit from all of this. So also draft Cardinals with your Broncos and draft Rams with your Broncos. Don't just stack week 17, stack weeks 15, 16, and 17, knowing that these are all up-tempo games. And so I've been making sure with my rant, with my Broncos stacks, I grab one-offs, not even stacking one-offs as a run-back for the Cardinals, Rams, and Chiefs as well. It's the first I thing I guys. Yeah, about the, about the three weeks versus the, the, the last week. It, it doesn't Sutton have that Cooper Cup feel. He's coming off of that the, the, the ACL and the MCL tears in 2020. He came oh. back last year, you know, and now he's getting a new new quarterback. I could I could see him uh, being a wide receiver one uh, at the end of 2022. Yeah, agreed. Andrew, Andrew you, had, some, uh, you had a couple I, questions. No, I know I know we're talking best ball, but this conversation gave me a pit in my stomach. I had to look it up. I know I traded um <clears throat> Sutton plus something for Rashad Bateman in uh, the Hardway Dynasty, and I when I when the trade happened, I loved it. And as the off season has progressed, I have liked it a little bit less and less. But I also forgot what the plus was. Um, I lo- love Sutton. I've done you know not a one eighty. I, I had always liked him. I thought that, that was a good opportunity. So I'm I'm good to see he's not upward trajectory. And again, I just checked here, and and luckily the plus was Logan Thomas. So I, I still feel good about the the Sutton Logan Thomas for, for Bateman. But regardless, I mean, I think it just tells you like. I, at first, I thought it was a slam dunk, and uh, I think that Sutton's been creeping his way back up the the dynasty and best ball um, uh, ex- exposure rankings here. Um, John, question for you again: going rankings and maybe maybe more high level here, and some of the 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 guys you want people to be drafting. How often, or are you consciously making a decision? I'm going to use Zeke, and I don't know if you use Zeke as an example, but let's just use him. Let's say that you would have otherwise had his had him as like an RB fifteen. Let's mm-hmm. just say, for example, but you don't want people to be drafting him. You want people to have different structures. You again, you say you you put you know put your money where your mouth is, put your money where your rankings are. Will you purposely drop Zeke farther in your rankings or any player farther in your rankings than you really would otherwise have had them, just to prove a point of not having that particular player on a on either your team uh, or or your uh, your audience's teams. Absolutely, and vice versa. Whereas, like, if you download the CSV for the underdog top two fifty, I even have players not only players pushed down that I don't people want people want. I then have that player settled even higher than I think they should go because per the scoring format and per the ADP, there's still a value if I get them two rounds later, right? So yeah. I, I have both ways, honestly, for Got every right position. Sending people up and down just to take stands on players, just just to make sure that it, it, if people are following your rankings, you're getting them the right exposures that you'd want to have for your own teams. Absolutely, and and there are some I haven't adjusted since I put it out last week. Um, I'm gonna probably try to adjust it once a week at the end of the week. I'm actually probably going to do that uh, Friday afternoon, maybe even tonight. And there are a couple things I want to do, like. We are definitely at 4-4 projections higher on Brandon Cooks. Um, he's criminally undervalued every single year. The only issue is in pushing him up. I still may have pushed him up too much because rooms are not adjusting. So that's, this is the one issue that happens, right, is that mm. I over-adjust to assume what's going to happen with the room. I got that right with Saquon Barkley, for instance, where yeah. now he's already going around early. Uh, last week when I did that, I had Barkley around earlier than his ADP, thinking we need to be ahead of this. That's what's happening with Lamar Jackson now as well. He's my QB2. I have him a few spots ahead of Justin Herbert and like only five or six spots ahead of ADP. But right now it's still early enough to where you can jump on him without thinking you're actually reaching for him. And yep. so I need to make that adjustment with Brandon Cooks because the room is not moving anyways. And that makes sense because, again, we're always infatuated with the younger guys. And 
honestly, like I'm infatuated with the younger guys. I I, yeah. I love what Rashad Bateman, Marquise Brown, Darnell Mooney can become this year, knowing they could reach 130, 140 targets and lead their team with like 28% plus target shares. And so that's something I'm willing to bet on too, perhaps over Brandon Cooks. So I'm going to bump him back a little bit, and that's just one example of many. Quarterbacks are the expert in those other situations. Yeah. With the Davis Mills, right? That Davis Mills is probably the reason, a big reason why Cooks has is, is made the undervalued. I think so, yeah. And even Davis Mills wasn't bad in his last three starts. But I don't expect, you know, everyone's tuned out uh, by weeks 15, 16, 17, unless you're in the postseason. So I don't expect anyone to know what the Texans did in their last three games. But week 17, Texans, Jacksonville. Come on, guys, let's correlation. Yeah. I was on, uh, this is when I was That's still true. a nomad. I'm now settled in Chicago. Uh, I was on the road somewhere and I went for a run, early run because I didn't have a show that week because it was week 17. And I was on a trail. And I remember like looking down because I had Davis Mill stacks in DFS because I'm a sicko like that. And uh, <laughs> remember in the first half, 200 yards, two touchdowns. And the second half, a hurricane hit Jacksonville out of nowhere that I was not aware of. And Davis Mills, I think, only passed for like 30 yards in the second half. Uh, I'm still not sure where that came from, but I was not ready for that one. You mentioned Brandon Cooks, and it's interesting you mentioned Darnell Mooney. But that's another situation where on the underdog, you're looking at wide receiver 29, wide receiver 30. Do you think there's a, a value between one of those, one of those two guys? Um, they're both very intriguing. And like you mentioned, they're, are they both guys you want exposure to, both of them? Or is there one you much prefer? It's Mooney or who else are you asking about? Mooney and Cooks are right next to one another on, on underdog. Right uh, well, Mooney is already shown, and – I believe, man, I was going to say he's in the better environment, but is he in the better environment? They're uh, both in like capped offenses and you were expecting them to get, like you said, like 25 to maybe 30% target share. I mean, if you want a galaxy brain it, um, I think Moody was like 25% last year. Cooks was like 27%. So they're right in that wheelhouse of a massive target share, but they're capped by their offenses. Are they two guys that you want exposure to? Or do you think you could, if you had to pick one? Oh, I definitely have exposure to them. Uh, and I still believe the ADP value, even though I have them ranked higher, the ADP value is still Brandon Cooks. But I do I do love Darnell Mooney, and I like Justin Fields' stacks because like, knowing how poor that team is going to be, they're only favored in two games all year. Uh, their over-under is it's somehow six and a half. It should honestly be four and a half. I think, I think Vegas got that one completely wrong just because everything from their trenches to their defense is – awful uh and so even even despite that though justin fields was a qb1 and four of his last five starts mostly because he averaged seven and a half carries per game and they weren't schemed runs either um over 75 percent of them were actual scrambles he showed he could use his legs but more importantly for a bad team like that we know they can't support two receivers that's why i'm having a hard time parse the jets because you have to rely on Zach Wilson developing. And I'm not sure if it does happen, how quickly it happens. And I think only one of them can really get there. We forget that Corey Davis out-targeted Elijah Moore when Corey Davis was healthy in those available games. And so that's why, although Elijah Moore clearly is a better player and has a higher ceiling than Corey Davis, like, does he get there at his ADP? I, I genuinely don't know. And if you told me to guess, I don't think so. And so that's what makes Darnell Mooney so easy, though, to bet on, is that it's not Byron Pringle. It's not... Tajay Sharp, like it's going to be Darnell Mooney and maybe Cole Komet, even though I have questions about Cole Komet's profile as well. So that I think that's what makes him easier. But 
if you told me to rely on one and I'm taking both, it still cooks for me, honestly. See, hold on, Dago. I'm in see a play, play a play mode. What uh, what was the uh, over under uh, wins total? I should bet. Yeah, <laughs> Bears are six and a half, I believe, and uh, I they should be matched with the Texans at four and a half. So it's under nice. the Bears, under nice. for sure. Love it. See a play, play a play. Thanks. They, for that. they, I think they they gave the Lions. Maybe the Lions have increased, but the Lions opened up as four and a half as well, and everyone bet the over. It just doesn't make sense because the Lions genuinely have better personnel immediately better depth as well, which is so much more important in the NFL than the bears do. It's a number that doesn't make any sense at all. That, the Lions, that, can, the Lions and, can win that division. They can win that division. I mean, if you, yeah, I, I still think it's going to be hard enough. I still think it's going to be the Vikings. Uh, the Packers have the best player in Aaron Rodgers, but the, I think the Vikings have the best overall team. And finally the offense to push it against the Packers, and especially because I, I, I think their play calling may take a month or two to get together, but if they can hang around and then it all clicks, we're even seeing reports from OTAs that Adam Thielen and Kirk Cousins are constantly like going over flashcards in their hotel rooms because they're not used to the terminology. Like the difference between Kevin O'Connell, who comes from Sean McVay, and Mike Zimmer, who doesn't even know how to defend a Sean McVay offense, he's never seen it in his life. Uh, it's just going to be spectacularly different. But that's also why Justin Jefferson is set up to be this year's Cooper Cup. I love that. I lo- love it. And, and also, I have pl- plus odds on that under. So I smashed it. Thanks good. for that. Oh, See good. Play, play, yeah. play. Good. Guys, real quick uh, before we get into some best ball, myffpc.com right now. Best ball, redraft, play for a million, play for 10 grand, play for a couple hundred grand. Just make some money that a wife, your wife will approve of your fantasy football game when you bring home that pot. Guys, myffpc.com right now, Dynasty Redraft, Best Ball. There's nothing on there that will not entertain your fantasy football game and you're playing against the best in the game. Go check it out. Tag one of us, whether it's at Goat District, at JD Goat District, at DOG Fantasy, at AMS Schellenberg, and we'll hook you up with an exclusive sign-up bonus if you're just starting an account on the site. Anything else before we get into some best ball? I wanted to pick your brain on Pittman at wide receiver 13. I do like that as a Colts fan, but uh, maybe we can throw that in with with some best ball talk. Yeah, let's go. And right. I, I may I may boot Pittman higher. Uh, I'm trying to think about like how wrong do I want to be on Pittman. But again, what I look for are have you proven your profile to me. Like, have you proven you're an alpha whenever the targets are there? This is why there's a Rashad Bateman comment in the chat. And I brought Matt Harmon on the most accurate podcast, the John and John show, as Theo calls it earlier today. So you can listen to it on Friday. And I asked him these open-ended questions because I don't know. And I know he's the guy who would know. And he even explained that Rashad Bateman, actually, while he may not be as explosive as Marquise Brown, in particular downfield, like, Rashad Bateman's a better player than Marquise Brown, and that's why he gives the Ravens a receiver that they haven't seen before because he's so much better at everything as opposed to one thing like Marquise Brown is. And so knowing Rashad Bateman, like we pretty much know he's going to lead the team in targets, uh, that gets me very excited for a young guy who just wasn't healthy last year and also had to play around and with Sammy Watkins. So I'm much higher on Rashad Bateman as well after the conversation. But to answer your question about Michael Pittman, And showing us ceilings, he did show us last year with Carson Wentz, before Carson Wentz went full Wentz in week nine, uh, 
Pittman was the wide receiver seven in fantasy points per game. And he's already, last year, was 14th most targets with 129. And again, they lose T.Y. Hilton's. They have no downfield option except Alec Pierce, who only five of his 30 career games went for over 100 yards. And as Harmon told me, because I asked him as well, Pierce only runs like three routes. He's a straight deep guy. I don't know if a player without an explosive collegiate receiving box score is going to like actually take away from Pittman downfield either. When Pittman does everything correctly, he is nearly 20% average of the thresholds we look for when we discuss success rates against man coverage, zone coverage, and press coverage. He does everything well. And he showed us, again, his ceiling. So I, I definitely want to be higher on the industry than Pittman, but the industry may drive me crazy because like maybe he should be, honestly, the wide receiver eight and not the wide receiver 13. Well, the last two uh, football guys drafts I've been in, he went as wide receiver 12 and wide receiver 14. So he's already, um, you know, moving up there. And I know, Andrew, you took him um, at the end of the third round, correct? Yeah, I'm checking. I'm checking. You put me on the spot. I, I was looking it yeah. up. Go on. I thought you had your draft boards memorized by now. I, I, yeah, I he's, he's like, wide receiver 15 in the one that we're in, uh, that, that super flex FFPC attorney. Uh, well, that was yeah, my, so that I, was my pick, and that's super flex. Oh, that's your yeah. pick. Okay, he's he's moving up, and I feel like he's got just so much steam right now. But it it makes some sense because he can win at different levels, and he's got an improved quarterback play. You've heard the Colts staff um, say that they don't want to run quite as much. Um, they talked up, you know, Naheem Hines. Uh, it seems like they want to be slightly more balanced, and I think that Pittman has the profile. Um, and he, you have, I like, you know, from a dynasty perspective. Um, how he really improved from, you know, his rookie year where he was injured, he, he missed some games, and then he went from 40 receptions to, like, he was close to 90 last year. So you're seeing a progression in, in his game, and, um, and yeah, he's, he's interesting. It's interesting. And big, big picture beyond Pittman, think about it. Like, if you look at the advanced stats, uh, Matt Ryan was already better in EPA than Carson Wentz last year. Matt Ryan also last year played behind an offensive line that allowed a league-high 40% pressure rate. The only offensive line in the entire league that allowed pressure on at least 40% of his dropbacks. And now he goes to the best offensive line of his entire career. Not only that, but one that was injured last year. So they're also much healthier and thus much better. And so it's genuinely just like the perfect mesh. We're getting... If he already showed us, Pittman, he can do that. And he's getting better quarterback play and a better offensive situation with even more targets. Like, he's going to see genuinely 30 or 40 more targets than A.J. Brown. Why aren't we treating him like that? Why am I treating him like that? I wrote the column. So that's why I, I probably will move him up even higher, honestly. Good job, Theo. Stats and information says, in fact, I did take him at the th- uh, the 312. Thanks. <laughs> I thanks, remember I, I'm able to, you know, you can't ask me what I had for breakfast, you know, two days ago. <laughs> But if you ask me, you know, about a draft board, I, I remember them pretty well. He was got Something like 40 draft boards on his screen yeah. and he knows every single one by heart. I, I just took him in a, a 301 on underdog. And that's because, again, that's a reach right now. But I'm guessing in a month or two, it's not going to be a reach. And more importantly, how many people are we going to say even had the opportunity to play Jonathan Taylor with Michael Pittman. So it was a unique situation where I think I'm also ahead of the field on. And that's mm-hmm. kind of like where I like diversifying there. Shout out to Wheeler in the chat. Um, yeah, Ryan is a, uh, is a substantial upgrade. And I think Wheeler was in your, in your, uh, in your yeah. draft. He was. Yes, he was. Awesome. He wasn't the back. We, we, of the Wheeler, Wheeler is everywhere. We love you, Kev. 
And Alec Pierce, it's interesting because he's got people that like him, but I agree with you. It seems kind of like he's one of these guys where you get excited maybe in a, you know, to think, to put on our dynasty hats. He's like a kind of a guy people are getting excited to draft on like second round of rookie drafts. And I know there's some people that like him, but his profile seems kind of like a, you know, like a MVS or a Nico Collins, like a role player that's going to have a long NFL career. Um, but I don't know. I don't really see him making that much of a fantasy impact at all. So then you look at it, it's it's going to be the Pittman show. So it's um it's the Diami Brown effect, right? Like we love explosive downfield receivers. Al- yeah. Alec Pierce averaged a 17 yard career depth of target, and like he also he he deadlifts 640 pounds in college, and like he, that's why he jumped through the roof at the combine. He had one of the highest verticals of the entire class. But also like the issue with the Diami Browns of the world is that you better see volume. Otherwise, especially as a rookie, your three targets downfield per game don't matter because they're the hardest balls to catch. They're at best 50-50, right? A deep ball because they're contested catches. And so if you are not seeing volume with those deep targets, then we are overvaluing them. And that's why, like, we just got to hope he sees five or seven targets per game, and I don't think he will. As much as I like him, I still take him as, like, an 18th-round pick all the time because I do like his profile. But overall, if I don't get any value on him, it wouldn't shock me. Yeah, it's almost like net positive that that was who they they took. Like there was, you know, rumors that the Colts were connected to, you know, maybe bringing in another wide receiver this offseason, whether it was in the draft or through free agency. And it kind of almost ignored that position besides Pierce. And they had Jelani Woods, which maybe helps the offense as a whole. So it could be like a pie gets larger situation for Pittman as well. I like that call a lot. Yeah, ba- Ballard and those athletic freaks, you know what I mean? It, him and Wood and, you know, I don't know. Well, I, it was just this year, though, because remember, they were slogging out. They kept on re-signing T.Y. Hilton, even though his twilight years were three years ago. But finally this year, not only the athletic Alec Pierce, but, yeah, like you mentioned, uh, Jelani Woods, who literally tested as the most athletic tight end in combine history. Like, they finally got more explosiveness, are now reportedly using Nahi Hines at receiver more just to make sure he's on the field because he is very good. He's just also buried behind arguably the best pure running back in all of football. So, like, it is looking uphill. It is looking up for the Colts, and that's why, you know, talk about bets, uh, that the Colts division odds, I still think you can get them at plus odds. And knowing all the changes and turmoil that the Titans went through this offseason, um, mm. including losing two starting offensive linemen, like I think the Colts are just a shoe-in. And should to win, we to win the team division? Team. It's, it's to win yes. the division tonight. Oh, okay. I'm going to check that out. Yeah. I, I, when I looked play, last, play, play. it was one, it was plus 105, so barely plus money. Kev, Kev's, also, asking it, Kev's asking if Ryan and Julio are going are gonna to so, reunite. I, this is something I str- I struggle with this immensely because I think Julio's been checked out mentally for two years. I think he's pretty happy in life. Um, Maybe he hasn't, he hasn't. Yeah, he hasn't been good at football, and that's okay. He's lived a very successful career, life, and career. Um, and so when people argue, and, and, and I'm open, I'm open-ended about this. Like if someone has a disagreement, it's okay. Uh, when people argue that yes, he's going to get the ADP bump though when he gets signed, I, I just ask like you're probably still wasting a pick on an ADP bump. Like, I don't care about the ADP bump because I think he's just not going to return any value. Same with Will Fuller, honestly. And so I haven't been drafting those guys at all, thinking, like, they're pretty much done anyways. It, it's it's June. Every team has had a chance to sign them, and nobody wants them. I like drafting those guys in, like, a redraft football guys type league, which will have a first waiver wire run. But I agree with you. When you get to a slim best ball – you know, not have, have, potentially having a, a, 
an X in your lineup to start the season is a really tough pill to swallow, especially at the wide receiver position. It's you're going to really appreciate, like you mentioned, you know, Alec Pierce taking Alec Pierce in like the 18th round or, uh, you know, a, a dart throw wide receiver like Avellis Jones over a guy who might not play a single game seems like the positive move. This is the, something the great Justin Herzig like hammered into my brain. He said it once and it stuck with me forever when I brought him on a show one time is that like I used to cite 18th rounders as just 18 rounders. It doesn't matter. Uh, and in redraft, it is true. We're going to cut them all. doesn't matter at all. But in best ball, it absolutely matters. You need a player who's going to play because every freaking pick on your best ball team matters at some point or they better matter at some point Otherwise, your team probably doesn't matter. And so when I see guys like, for instance, if you told me like the flag plant a last round individual, unfortunately right now it's Kendrick Bourne because not only is, in my opinion, is he the best wide receiver on the Patriots, he also had four top 10 game last year, which were more than every other Patriots wide receiver combined last season. Devontae Parker also, at, we are still sucked into this roller coaster of his career when he only got extended for eight games from Ryan Fitzpatrick whenever Preston Williams got injured. Preston Williams, his rookie year, actually led Devontae Parker in targets through week nine, then went down with an ACL injury, and then Parker exploded. And we haven't seen him explode in any other game since. So it's still wild to me that like we overvalue Parker. He's a floor player, especially in FFPC for PPR leagues. We want those seven and a half targets per game that he's averaged in back-to-back seasons. But like, to treat him as like a true number one whenever like Kendrick Bourne is still there at the 18th round. I'll, I'll still take that all the time. And good recency bias. Didn't he score two touchdowns in his uh, playoff game? He did. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the blowout playoff yeah. game, the, the murder yeah. in new England, as I call it. Yeah. yeah. I don't know, man. I'm smashing Snoop Connor in that last round of FFPC. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk stacks, man. Hashtag always be stacking. We love talking stacks on here. Uh, let's jump into your, uh, you know, what's what's kind of your general approach with the stacks? Are you, you know, do you want to give the warning? Do not reach for the stack. Do you? Is it okay to reach in certain areas? What's your what's your general approach with the stacking uh, when you're doing your best ball builds? It's genuinely like that Zach Galifianakis gif. Jeff, whenever you see him reading all the numbers down the escalator, whenever, whenever it comes back to me, because like, I understand in a live draft, I have 30 seconds. This is why I only do slow drafts, by the way. I love slow drafts. Cause then I just check into apps like every X amount of hours. And then I make all my picks like 25 picks in a row right then and there. Um, but like, you have to turn on the lights, the headlights and ask, okay, week 17 stacks. How does this work? Playoff stacks. How does this work? Uh, is this the wide receiver four and ADP? Because that's actually proven to be more accurate. Uh, in particular in large field tournaments, is actually drafting the wide receiver for an ADP with the quarterback since everyone usually try to reaches for the cube, for the wide receiver one, two, and three with quarterback stacks. So I try to also grab like the sneaky options. For instance, if you're taking D- Deshaun Watson and like adding Donovan Peoples-Jones um, instead of David Bell because that's how these things work. But But overall, yeah, I've already spoiled my Russell Wilson stacks. Um, another one that I've been pretty much tacking on because you can get them mid to late. And I do believe in the the structure of the offense is Daniel Jones and the Giants. And this comes from someone who did not believe in Daniel Jones, more importantly, because I think Joe Judge was one of the worst head coaches in NFL history. And I think that was very clear for the moment he was hired as a special teams coordinator who just shook the right hands and didn't deserve that position in the first place. But now we get Brian Dable, who I do believe in. And not only do we get Brian Dable, 
who schemed a league low in multi-tight end sets with the Bills, which is what I expect the Giants to do with adding Wandale Robinson. Like, when everyone argues Kadarius Tony and Wandale Robinson, like, the answer can be both, especially if they're on the field with underneath guys like Sterling Shepard, and then you got your one deep threat in Kenny Galladay all the time. That's okay since Daniel Jones was so accurate from a clean pocket last year. The issue is Gettleman, the last two years, never prioritized offensive line. He called, he called them hog mollies. He always took the biggest ones, but they were always bad profiles despite favoring them in the top 10 picks. Um, but not only those receivers do I think can mesh together in, in an explosive offense with a very bad defense, thus keeping their foot on the gas sneakily all the time, I also think Daniel Jones has a, immense rushing upside. I wrote this in the column, so I'm just going to cite it straight from there. But recall last year, whenever they were the Bills were looking for a response against two high safeties. And this is why I, I'm not high on Devin Singletary at all. He only has one year left on his deal. They, they're very clearly not going to resign him. But more importantly, like they just needed to add a running game like the Chiefs did. They were like, we have to look around for a running back, and Devin Singletary is here. So I guess you're our guy, even though we don't want to use you. And that's why he averaged 17 and a half carries per game over his last seven starts. But also in that time... Josh Allen averaged an increase seven and a half carries per game. And more importantly, 68% of those were schemed. They weren't scrambles. They were actually screamed by Dable saying, hey, like we just need to bring the guys over the top in. That way we can fire over the top because right now they know we don't care about running the ball. That's why the Jaguars beat them seven to three. They rushed four and dropped four back because they knew they could beat the Bills that way because the Bills didn't care about running until they lost by four points to the Jaguars. Then you rethink your entire life and ask, what did we do wrong here? And so I think we're going to get a lot of scrambles from Daniel Jones and schemed runs, giving him a higher floor and shootouts as well. So I do like, rather than being like everyone else and prioritizing Kadarius Tony and Wondell Robinson and all these guys, like you can get them all. Like, just get Wandale and Kadarius Tony. How many people do that? None, because everyone thinks they're going to replace one another when they can coexist in a bad defense and up-tempo offense. So I kind of like doing that as well. Uh, quick quick um, June 9th fact from the Stats and Information Department. The Jaguars actually beat the Bills 6-9. to nine. So I couldn't, I couldn't let um, that go um, from uh, on, on today's <laughs> that day. That was good. Thank you. Uh, I don't recall everything properly off the top of my head. Um, but also that was, it was, the same, it, was a ni- it was a nice fact to give today. That was the same week. I said four points was three. Uh, that's the same week. Remember that the Broncos doused the Cowboys in flames. Yeah. Um, Cause like those weeks are always the hardest to like, then go back to the lab on Monday morning. Cause you know, you still got to chart everything. You still got to get it back in motion to spit it out on Tuesday. And it's like bad football makes the week even worse. It's the absolute worst. Yeah, and no, no expectation for you to know this or remember this, but uh, I live in Jacksonville, so I, I remember that's why you remember game, remember that game well. It was yeah. d- delightful. So, d- just getting uh, over to the Bills' running back situation, you talked about Devin Singletary. What's your expectations for James Cook this year? It seems like he's a nice value right now, where he's going ADP wise, in my opinion. I, I definitely want to have more of him on FFPC because for. Underdog, it really just doesn't make sense. A half PPR league, we want touchdown equity there. Uh, James Cook has never handled more than 12 carries in any game in the time he spent with Georgia. We know he's going to be their pass-catching back, especially after they had J.D. McKissick in the palm of their hand until he went back on his deal 12 hours later. But overall, like 
I don't think James Cook has the workhorse upside because he's never shown that in college and the touchdown equity. And so we just want the reception floor. So him, J.D. McKissick, like those are the guys we want in FFPC in particular in the later rounds, even though they're right. going overlooked. Underdog, I actually don't I don't think they bring much value. I think they're overdrafted right now. Well, actually, J.D. McKissick, he still goes super late. Everyone forgets about him for some reason. I don't know why. I guess because Brian Robinson, but like even Brian Robinson's not good. Uh, if you look through the Rolodex of Alabama running backs who didn't average over five yards per carry, like you got to go a long way to get to Brian Robinson. The last time was Terry Grant in 2007. Like you just don't come from Alabama and not get over five yards per carry because they're a factory. And yet he did not. And so like, I don't care about him so much as standalone value as I do him being a nuisance to Antonio Gibson. And that's the way I look at the situation. And so, like, while I do like McKissick on underdog because his value is so low, James Cook, on the other hand, he's going in the ninth round. It's a half PPR league. He's not going to get 15 touches a game. Why would I ever draft him there? So that's the way I view those two. Structure uh, question. It seems like a, a lot of drafters are kind of going with, like, a, like a hero RB approach um, mm-hmm. in, in this best ball and in redraft as well, where you it seems to be a – draft a running back, a high-volume running back, and then just hammer wide receiver. Do you agree with this as a general strategy uh, this year? Um, and would that be your preferred strategy in a slim best ball format? That is my preferred strategy. And we know that because there are only so many takeaways, and it's such a small sample. But And this is why I like when Skywalker comes on the show with y'all and talks about like what he's done to make winning lineups in FFPC – because I'm more or less familiar with Underdog, and I, I, I listen to all his shows, so I know what he's done. That is, that's a good sound for him, by the way. Uh, but for the Underdog, for Best Ball Mania 1 and 2, which only grows every year, we only have limited samples. And what we do know is that not only did teams, because quarterback ADP is the most accurate of all the positions. Because pretty much you just, at the end, you just, at the end of QB1, you jam all the guys up there who run the ball and you get your ADPs right. It's not hard to predict quarterback whatsoever. Um, we may reach on guys, but more or less, the teams that advance to the final round in the first two best ball manias drafted two quarterbacks in round six through nine, which basically guaranteed them two QB1s. And so that's kind of what I've been doing with Jalen Hurts and then maybe Trey Lance, uh, maybe another option that I'm stacking at the end there. But also then, what we do know is that it is half PPR. So although we cite and scream zero RB, hero running back has worked the most, especially getting those two running backs in the first three rounds. And so that's how I've been drafting, even though, again, I'm pragmatic individual, Uh, You don't say that on Twitter because that doesn't get likes and retweets. You have to take a stand everywhere. But I like adjusting my my strategy to the room, even though I will cut myself off, like I told you earlier, at Najee Harris. Um, Austin Eckler and Najee Harris, like RB and Derrick Henry, RB 3, 4, and 5 in my opinion, once we reach the Joe Mix and DeAndre Swift, Dalvin Cook tier, and I may even have Dalvin Cook wrong because it's not his performance we're worried about. It's just the, the pending legal situation. Uh, that's when I then step in and say, okay, I want the top three, top four receivers instead of the next running back, and then I'll go from there. No, it makes sense. Uh, Andrew and JD, maybe do you is that kind of your approach this year um, in Slim Best Ball? Um, are you guys looking to go hero as well, or is it you know all depend on kind of your 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 draft position? Um, I know those early wide receivers are very very appealing as well. Yeah, JD, you can go first. 
Yeah, I mean, I think I have like three or four builds that I kind of, depending on how my the draft starts, what falls to me, what the rest of the room is doing. Obviously, I think Hero RB is the go-to, but because, and I think it's been for us on the show, we've been talking about it for what, two, three years at least. And now it's like the preferred way to do it. So I kind of like to switch it up. Um, I like to build some hyper fragile, like maybe going four RBs a little earlier than I normally do, because I do like getting those late RBs going top heavier at receiver early and then, um, you know, hitting those onesies in between. But um, yeah, I think hero RB is always my kind of favorite look, you know, when I'm done the build looking at the rosters again, because you do pick up those, those RBs that can pop late. And those are the winners, man. The Eliza Mitchell's, you know, from last year, the James Robinson's from the year before that's, that's how you make that magic happen. Yeah. I think from what I've done and seen this year, I like at the end of drafts actually going the hero RB more. Um, I do not like that two, three turn for wide receivers when you are at the the early part of the draft. In the one spot, I know the same. So I'd almost rather, and I don't know if I'm encroaching on another question, be more aggressive with like the Cup Jefferson chase early in the draft. And then maybe get like a falling Saquon or a, a whoever, like late in the second, even though Saquon's kind of held, held steady a little bit. Like, do you I mean after the two RBs, Andrew? Yeah. No, no, I, I would go. I would go well, I can, I, I'll actually, back. That, yeah, good. I was going to say this is actually a great segue because yeah. Andrew Andrew and I have discussed um, multiple times. We, we share some teams. We, we split a main event. We split a ton of football guys before. In these major contests, John, do you think there's, there's, some some value to having a very unique build, such as starting a draft with Justin Jefferson, where there will be less one hundred ones with Justin Jefferson. Um, it's not necessarily um, the 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 top lineup, but you get that unique lineup. It's um, trying to get the it's, it's the combo of those first few rounds that you're trying yep. to play with, depending on where you're starting the draft, right? And once you see That's what right. the regular flow is, you want to disturb that as much as you can in order to start off that unique build. I I do like that thought a lot because the way I've been handling it, honestly, is very vanilla. It's it's pretty much telling myself in the 101 that, like, Jonathan Taylor doesn't ever get past pick number two. So, like, I have to take advantage because I don't know how big my portfolio. I don't know how yeah. many Jonathan Taylors I'll actually have since it's a random draw for picks. So right. I've just kind of been taking him, and then I'll mix it up from there. Like, like I said earlier, um, 101 for Jonathan Taylor – and then I went Barkley as a quote-unquote reach at when it came back to me at two, and then I grabbed Michael Pittman early. And I asked how many teams have that right now, how many teams even had the opportunity to have that right now. Um, I don't think they would reach for that, what they consider reaches. So that's the way I've been doing it. I've been trying to do it more like I think I'm getting ahead of ADP right now as opposed to like purposely taking Jefferson over Cup at 102, even though, again, I don't hate the idea. Yeah, it's interesting. It's – um. You know, when you talk about 460,000 entries, 111,000 entries versus like what we would do at the NFFC or the FFPC where, you know, I, Andrew, I'm not sure how many main event entries there are, but it's you're able to have a, a unique build might stand out a, a little bit more in that sense where in, in the underdog, it's it's somebody else is going to do it kind of argument. 3,010. 3,010. So there you go. It's just an interesting uh, galaxy brain for, for, for best ball strategy. And, um, and again, I don't hate it, but also like remember, we're gonna have a Cam Akers nuke 
in the next month, right? Like we're going to have something come screw up every piece of content, every draft where a player's going to then encroach into the third round out of nowhere that shouldn't have been there. And then that's probably when we'll start getting values because I thought we were going to see a seismic shift earlier, but honestly, we haven't seen much like, like DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett are slowly creeping closer just as we talked about earlier, Sutton slowly going past Judy, Saquon Barkley slowly moving up. I thought Fournette and Connor would move up by now, but you're just never going to find anyone who likes uh, Fournette. Everyone, everyone hates Fournette, and I have no idea why. So he can only go so far, since like the same people that love Barkley also do not like Fournette for whatever reason. So we haven't had like a crazy shift in ADP yet, but I expect we'll get one in a month. I mean, John, have you seen the picture of Leonard Fournette this week? I know you. Have. <laughs> I didn't see that. That's going to be just, down Ill, just an ill-fitting shirt. At least I, I, I know I've bad, been there bad, It was a bad angle. It was ill-fitting, but yeah. you know there was. A I, I'm sorry, man. If you are a fucking professional athlete, get your ass in shape, man. I'm sorry. Like get a shirt that you have, your body is your is everything. You know what I mean? I, no I agree, but it is. I love, I love me some LF, but get in fucking shape, man. It Come is on. June, though. It's June. Like, play, they play themselves into shape. Yeah. Kind of behind. A lot of the vets will come in. And, it's yeah, June. So it's, adding, it's overblown. It's overblown. He's doing, it's, the, yeah. he's doing the Shaq it's, method. Yeah. It's June. It's 10 pounds. It's totally okay. It's fine. Yeah. What's it's, your favorite spot? It's a spot clothing. It was, it was a white your, shirt and it was tight. That's all. Good <laughs> deal. What, what's your favorite spot to draft from? Uh, I actually do like mixing it up at the end. And I understand a lot of times that leaves me either choosing Joe Mixon or DeAndre Swift. And I don't mind that. I kind of like getting DeAndre Swift in the back end. But I, li- I like tacking on wide receivers because we can still get sometimes like Devontae Adams, sometimes Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill, who I'm, I'm confused on. I still don't know if I'm right or wrong on him, if he should be lower. Because we know Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle probably both can't get there. That's kind of like DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Probably both can't get there given their situation, but one of them will, and I'm not sure which one, honestly. And so I, I like just tacking on that situation. I also think we should be taking advantage of the Galvin and Kamara news, knowing that we're probably going to be wrong on at least one of them, but also one of their ADPs is wrong, right? Like uh, we've seen this. How many times have we done this with like go for it? Uh, the last one I remember, I guess, would be Tyreek Hill suspension and like the five to seven round value we got on him once we realized he wasn't getting suspended at all. And so that's what happened. So knowing that we have to be right anyways, it's totally fine. Like Kamara and Cooks, their usage does not change. We're not worried about their performance, their usage, their production and fantasy. It's literally just comes down to a legal situation. So I actually don't mind taking advantage of their ADPs either right now at the back end because that's when you can do it. Just a just a quick correction, guys. On the um, the main event for FFPC, there are three thousand and ten spots left. It's forty two hundred total. Stats and information are uh, are intern just on the ball. Good, jo- good job, stats and information intern. Awesome, <laughs> awesome. Um, you mentioned you mentioned uh, Mixon. You mentioned DeAndre Swift. Um, what would be your kind of a breakout running back for you this year? Um, are you into Travis Etienne at this point? I like Travis Etienne. I just don't know if the offense has the juice to get Travis Etienne there. Uh, and I, he's the only player with that particular profile that can lead the team in receiving, and that's what we want, right? Again, as I, as I wrote in the column, career at Clemson, 100 receptions, 
1,155 yards and eight touchdowns receiving, not to mention leading every running back and receiving in 2020. So, like, we know he's ready to be plopped into the same slot role he was going to play last year in place of LaVisca Chenault until he got injured, and they had no choice but to put LaVisca Chenault there until they got rid of him and said, Jamal Agnew, you're better at this. Just run nine routes the entire time, and we'll throw you the ball every now and then. And so I don't mind ETN, but if I had to pick one, I think the, I think the easiest one is Devontae Williams, and a lot has to happen since Melvin Gordon never played himself off the field last year. He was just fine. He wasn't as explosive as Javante, but he was just fine. Uh, even outscored Javante in 8-16 to 16 games together and outtouched him. Only one, but outtouched him 14 and a half to 13 touches in those games together. But if I had to pick one, I think it's Cam Akers because we've already seen the breakout. We saw the breakout in the postseason in 2020 when he handled 82% of the team's touches. He comes back last year. Remember, he only fumbled once in his entire career at Florida State. He fumbled multiple times last year in a span of four games. That's not Cam Akers. That's also why he averaged 2.4 yards per carry because he wasn't actually Cam Akers. He was brought back in the last week, activated, didn't play, but activated in week 18 just so he could withhold his pension in the NFL because you have to be, I think it's double-digit years, I believe it is, um, active every season in order to actually qualify to get your pension. So they did him a favor. But then to run him out for an every touch as an every touch back when he was bad at it because he was not healthy and ready to do that only six months after his Achilles tear, even though it's an amazing story. Like he wasn't ready for that. And so I'm just buying into 2020 cam acres and forgetting, ignoring everything that happened last year. And so like, I think that's actually the breakout guy. What about you, Andrew? Is there, is, are you back on acres right now? It it's, it's hard to be at the, at the price I have to get him right now. Um, it's fair. ETN's, ETN's moving up. Um, obviously, I know you alluded to that today, uh, Theo. I, I think that where it would take to draft Cam Akers, that's just – and you, you know this about my draft strategy. I'm probably taking wide receivers in that range uh, instead of Cam Akers. Um, it, it, unless, unless you come over the top in our uh, main events and our uh, and our football guys, and you, you, you tell me we got to go Akers. But, I got uh, I to beg you once. Him. I got to beg for the running back once in a while, Andrew. That's right. Our, our that's right. Yeah. No, he's, um, he's he's my Florida State guy, so I, I like him a lot, and uh, I'm I'm rooting for him to have the breakout. I just I think roster construction wise, I don't know how many teams I'm gonna have him on. In in every game that a running back did not get injured for Sean McFay last year, the running back who started and completed the game handled at least eighty percent of the team's touches. Like he only wants to use. He proved that with Sony Michelle at the end of the year. He only wants to use run back. There's no intention of using Daryl Henderson behind Cam Akers, assuming Akers is fully healthy. And so again, like we've already seen the breakout from Akers in from week thirteen on against the Seahawks. I believe that was his rookie year through the postseason. And so that's what I'm that's what I'm going back to. Even at the ADP, like I do agree, it could it could be perceived as pricey, but like, does he beat Derrick Henry out? Since Derrick Henry is very volatile, maybe. I think that I, it's not out of the question, at least. Yeah, and yeah, I, and I, I think – Oh, go ahead, okay, I No, I was going to just – I was going to say, it, I mean, and a very simple thing could be Akers could just score a lot of touchdowns this year. If we think oh, yeah. that that Rams offense takes a step forward, um, you know, they clearly want to use him around the goal line. Um, he could just be, a, you know, a guy whose overall stats are not great, but he all of a sudden you look at it and – Akers has 12 touchdowns, and he crushes his ADP. The The chat also, as 1912 Fantasy says, someone in the dead zone is going to hit. Uh, that person is ETN, and I make sure in my tiers that I consider him actually like the tier drop-off. Like, I, I, want, I want to be higher on ETN if possible because after him, 
I think is where we fall off. Mm-hmm. Even like people are higher on Jackie Dobbins, but the Ravens have ranked bottom five and running back target percentage in three consecutive seasons for Lamar Jackson. Even last year when he was averaging more passes per game than any other seasons he's had still bottom five and running back targets. Like those running backs will never see targets. Thus they will never have proper ceilings to be RB ones. And that's why I just kind of, I'll take him at ADP, but I just ignore him overall. Mostly. Dago quick on the clock. Connor and ETN, you have to take a running back. Which which running back are you taking? It's Connor. Uh, I, I'm a sucker for workhorses. I'm sorry. I'm out. I'm big on Connor. I've been I, overdrafting Connor. I know. I understand the touchdown regression too, but also like he showed the entire profile, even averaging five and a half targets per game when he started for Chase Edmonds last year. Now, will he hold up? Probably not because he's literally never played a full season in his entire career. That's where Daryl Williams or I believe – because this is something we've been doing in the industry, trying to find the contract numbers for Daryl Williams because they're impossible. I believe it got unveiled that he's making the league minimum. And if that's the case, he may not even make it through camp. And if that's the case, Keontae Ingram has the profile we should be chasing, especially in Kyler Murray stacks, especially in the 20th round. So I actually kind of tack on Keontae Ingram every now and then to my Kyler Murray stacks. I've been, I've been moving one. off of uh, Eno Benjamin, who was a, a favorite drafter early in the offseason, to now Keontae. I need to make sure I'm more, more, yeah. way more conscious about that. Eno Benjamin, um, like, didn't have the profile, seventh-round guy. And also remember, the past two seasons, they've used Jonathan Ward over him mm-hmm. uh, whenever Jonathan Ward was healthy, thus telling us they don't want to use Eno Benjamin at all. And so I think, I think Keontae Ingram basically replaces Eno Benjamin. Yeah. I got a quick – Oh, sorry, we got a question from. Um, actually, let me just ask my question real quick. So James Conner is a guy that I was, you know, you, we've all been drafting since like January. A bunch yeah. Of James. The, James. The value Conner. was better. It's not as good anymore. The value. No, was but great that's though. that's what I want to know, and and that's why I find myself now going for other options in that in that range because I got him so much lower. So would you, if you were drafting throughout the whole offseason, you were getting a guy at a way lower value? Would you keep building your rosters as he? goes up because we've talked about guys like Mike Williams, Sutton's, you know, the guys that have moved up the, 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 the boards, do you continue to draft them? Or do you say, you know what, I got them at such a good value. Now I'm going to take other guys in that range. that can still continue to move up or what's your approach on that? No, this is when I start spreading it out, especially for a guy like James Conner, who again, it matters that I, I think staying healthy is a skill and it's a skill he hasn't ever shown. Uh, and it's probably because he's great in life. He's a warrior. He beat cancer. So, like, his body mm-hmm. is not fit to stay healthy for an entire season, but he's also doing amazing. So that's perfect. Uh, but knowing that, we don't expect James Conner to be healthy either. So that's not the kind of player I'm trying to go even more overweight on. Uh, like, like volatile players, for instance, last year, and Mike Davis, right? Uh, remember Mike Davis and... Oh, the Dolphins running back is slipping my head now. Miles Gaskin. Gaskin. Miles yeah. Gaskin. That's remember, cool. remember in February and March, like you could get them literally in the 10th to 13th rounds. And we thought we were getting great value. Turns out like the, even the value didn't matter for them, yeah. but we thought we were getting good values. And so that's kind of how I'm handling it now is that, well, ADP is adjusted for Connor. No big deal. I, need, I don't need to fight for him anymore. I already got my shares if you were drafting early. Yeah. And 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 this is the guy I'm taking in 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 that round now is is J.K. Dobbins. Uh, yep. Not that I haven't been grabbing him the whole time. Um, we've got uh, 1912 fantasy. Shout out to the chat. You guys are rocking. By the way, he's asking Daigle uh, or Daigle, um Walker versus Penny. How do you feel about the Seattle backfield? 
Oh, I, I think it's sad for Penny. It, it, what's weird is that Penny... Just for Penny? How about the whole offense? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that too. But remember for Penny, Penny actually... People don't remember now because we've so far removed from it, but he literally played every single game in college. He was not an injury-prone player at all and super explosive. And then we got to last... And then we got to this four-year career for him and just could not stay on the field. And finally, last year, he won our leagues for us. Uh, and if you're I, like, I had him in a league though, where I was already out of an FPC, even then it was still good to see him average, you know, the 18 and a half carries 130 yards and one touchdown per game, 7.2 yards per carry over that five game stretch to close the year with four top 10 finishes, including the RB one overall performance in fantasy in week 17 championship week, like just a freaking stud, just like a Monroe St. Brown who brought us to the title. But now we get Kenneth Walker and, and what's funny is that he basically profiles as Rashad Penny. Like Pete Carroll clearly has a type and that Kenneth, Kenneth Walker averaged, uh, what, what, here it is right here. I'm going to take from the column. Um, he forced the missed tackles, the most missed tackles in college and tied Jonathan Taylor and Rashad Penny go figure for the most yards after contact per carry for a running back with 250 plus rushes in a season. Like he's the same explosive player. If you told me to pick one, it is very clearly Kenneth Walker because he's also showed a receiving profile, a small one, but he had a good catch rate. Remember this is the same thing we argued with Jonathan Taylor thinking just because he didn't get targets didn't mean he can't earn targets or catch the ball when, when it, proved in his rookie year Jonathan Taylor that's actually like the best thing he did while he was trying to figure out when to hit the holes in the NFL but overall uh Kenneth Walker in my opinion still the more explosive player and the more fresh one whenever Rashad Penny is only on a one-year deal that matters so I think it's still the Kenneth Walker show this year I agree on that I'm, I, I like Walker at running back 28 um you know and I feel like his price would be slightly will will go up slightly and I think Penny's will move down a little bit as the summer goes. And I think it becomes evident. You're already hearing some of the Seattle beat writers, you know, it's uh, raving about Walker and saying he's going to have a role and all this kind of stuff. So um, I'm, in I'm interested in that one as well. That's uh, how about the Atlanta backfield, John, is there any running back in Atlanta that's uh, intriguing you at this point? Uh, Ty Tyler Algier back on Cordero. Is there any value to be had in that backfield? Algier would be the workhorse option. I still want to believe and Patterson, though, that when he returned from injury uh, from week 12 on, that usage he had was not what he's going to receive because he averaged six targets per game as a top 12 running back until that injury. He missed a couple games, then came back. And then after that, he was still getting the same amount of touches, but he was literally getting more carries, like 10 carries per game up the middle. And that's never what Rashad Penny has done well. Even when the Bears tried that out, Patterson failed, but those targets, because he is explosive in open space when you create concerted touches for him, that's what allowed him to become a top 12 guy. So I actually still like taking the dip, and it is a good ADP still to this day. Uh, I like taking the dip on Patterson, assuming they already saw what he can do when used properly, and they're going to go right back to using him that way. Having said that, I still take Algier late because he does have a three down profile from college. And that's kind of what not only they need the Falcons, but Patterson doesn't overlap with that skill whatsoever. And so there is a direct path there for him leading, honestly, like all rookie running backs and touches possibly. So I, I take the chance on Algier all the time. As we're talking, um, 
running backs and not so great offenses. Guys, underdog fantasy, we're talking about it tonight. You want to you want to win a million, maybe a couple million playing fantasy. It's happening at underdog fantasy. Go check out the app, go check out the website. Right now you can make an easy 100 bucks if you use the code district when you sign up to underdog. Your first sign up, your first load up your money, load up 100 bucks and they'll match that 100 give you free. That's 200 bucks right there that you can invest in one of these tourneys, whether it's the puppy where you've got 500 K in prizes, $5 entry, or like I said, the two milli, the BM, the BBM three with a $25 entry guys. It's a no brainer. You want to play fantasy? That's a no brainer. Forget the mock drafts. Go do some best ball guys. Check out underdog fantasy. Use the code district. JD, you don't mock you best ball. That it, it's coming. The shirt's coming. Coming. It's in uh, the interns working on it. The shirt. The t-shirt interns the working on. Department's working on it. It's coming real soon. The print. The printing department. We're waiting on the on the printing. printing. They're uh, I, the interns are too too busy giving you entries. How many total injuries are in to work on t-shirts right now? <laughs> the interns it. are never that's focused it. on the right things, Daigle. Right. Yeah, I've noticed that. <laughs> They're just trying to get those credits. JD promised them. Um, the credits. I want to pivot. I want to pivot to redraft real quick because we've already kept John in the district for an hour and fifteen. John, you play in the main event in Vegas. Yeah. We play in the main event in Vegas. If yeah. you get the one hundred and one for a main event, who are you taking? Let's say it's the summer's ended and you're sitting down at the table and you get the one hundred and one. Who are you taking? You know, uh, this year what's going to screw everything up is that that hot game on Thursday night, which I still love. I know some people don't like. I disagree with everyone. That for those Friday live drafts with nuked ADPs are such a breath of fresh air. Forty-eight hours for week one because we do this for months at a time and like jostle between ADPs and it's the same thing, the same discussions over and over again through training camp. And then there's one night, one night only, Kareem where us, Hunt, where all of us are gathered in the theater together to watch a game over free cocktails. And they should give us five tickets. They give us two tickets because they're cheap, but we still get those drinks. And then we sh- we go to the bar until three a.m. and talk about these things, and then show up to our main event and. To see those ADPs, they're crazy. And this year, it's the Rams and the Bills. You know how insane those players can get. Like, Stephon Diggs literally could be the number one overall player by the time we do this. He's going to go for 40 that game. And it's like, oh, I guess I got to go Diggs one-on-one. I can't wait. But also, as Jason short notes, the answer for me is Jonathan Taylor. Uh, I'm not arguing against the people that believe it can be McCaffrey. McCaffrey has shown when healthy. And I don't think he's a player who's not healthy it's just happened to be two fluke injuries the last two years especially because matt rule and that organization have just piled it on him every single time but eight full games 20 percent target share 17 and a half carries fine seven and a half targets as well per game i'll take that but jonathan taylor just fits the profile he checks every box no one's in his way more importantly like we've already talked about their backup running back they're playing in a wide receiver uh jonathan taylor ends you sometimes like Tyler Lockett does from time to time, but on a more regular basis with multiple touchdowns in eight of his last 22 games, um, he is that dude. And so I, I, in a better situation with Matt Ryan and Carson Wentz, I still want all the Jonathan Taylor. You, sorry, Theo, you, you talked about Brandon cooks. Let's give 1912 another cue here. Cause Houston backfield is interesting. You've got a rookie coming in. You've got Marlon Mack over there. Uh, Burkhead, I think is, somewhere back there smoking a cigar and teaching the kids how to 
how to get ready for camp. But how do you, how do you feel about this backfield? Are you shying away from it? Or is there, is there someone in there that you're uh, liking in these drafts? I actually think Marlon Mack has the best ADP, sadly, out of all of them. Uh, since he's the guy they sign purposely, and we're now two years removed from his Achilles injury. And remember, just two years ago, he did rush for over 1,000 yards and averaged 78 rushing yards per game. So he has proven he can perform well. But if you told me, like, who's the more explosive option, who's the more volatile option, you'll still risk at ADP, it's, it's obviously Damian Pierce. And I admittedly don't have a lot because I still think rookie ADPs right now are just crazy. It's, it's rookie mm-hmm. month. We do this every year where everyone gets infatuated with these infinite ceilings they haven't seen. So, like, everyone is Jamar Chase. Everyone is whoever the best rookie <laughs> was the year prior, and I don't believe that at all. I can't get Sky Moore at all because I don't believe in his ADP. I don't want any of Christian Watson, but I can't get him anyways. Um, but that's, the way, that's what's happening right now. Same for Damian Pierce. And I, th- I just think it's more volatile, though which is why I'd rather have Marlon Mack at his last round ADP than Damian Pierce currently, since Pierce never handled more than 106 carries in any college season. He was purely a rotation back in the SEC. And although he was explosive, uh, 5.9 yards per touch in his final two years, when he played more and more, again, to never have the workhorse profile, that's why like Isaiah Spiller, for instance, showed up to the combine and did nothing right. He should have never, like, if, if we knew he was going to run basically a 4-8-40, he should have never showed up to the begin with, especially at his size. But also, at, in A&M, he was treated like a three-down workhorse. And the NFL doesn't shy away from that. Najee Harris only had 15 carries of 25-plus runs at Alabama, and nobody knows that. No one cares in the NFL because, like, they're going to give this bigger back, that type of archetype, three-down touches per game. And that's what Isaiah Spiller brings to the table if Austin Eckler moves out of the way, no matter how explosive he is. Whereas Damian Pierce, much more volatile because he really doesn't have that profile, but he was explosive. So he can lead this backfield in touches, absolutely can. But it's still, I'm not as confident as ADP is right now. Or we could just stay away from the Houston backfield. That's true. Entirely. That's, that's a great. I just, I just don't like running backs on bad offenses. It's a simple rule, and it just, it's just a very good one to stick to. Absolutely, and also remember they used a four-man rotation. The, the Texans did last year. Probably they do that again, and nothing matters. I want to, I want to ask pretty much every guest that comes on the Goat District this summer. We had, we have a recurring question during Dynasty season. We asked everybody, so now it's going to be a recurring redraft question. And I also want Andrew's answer on this because he wasn't on with Nelson um, two nights ago. So we had Nelson Sousa on, uh, and I asked, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, and Cooper Cup are the clear top three wide receivers right now in all formats. Underdog, FFPC, NFFC, they're, they're the top three wide receivers. Um, who do you view besides those three as the biggest candidate um, to finish as wide receiver one overall this season? You can name two guys if you feel more comfortable. Um, I will I, I will I will plant my flag in one because wide receiver one overall besides those three. I'll plant my flag in one because I'm very confident in one. And that is Stephon Diggs. Uh, nice. Let's go back two years, right? When I was wrong on him. When he was a seventh round pick in in redraft leagues. And even though it was very high, and again, we 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 make mistakes all the time. We try to adjust them year to year and try to get more accurate. Every year we're in this industry. And so I was high on Josh Allen two years ago when he had the QB, his first QB1 season, but I wasn't high on Stephon Diggs. That doesn't make any sense at all. I've adjusted since then. But he led the league in targets, receptions, and receiving yards. And then 
He was drafted in the mid-first last year in redraft leagues improperly with everyone like Cooper Cup this year, thinking he was going to sustain even though Cup was better. But everyone drafted in the mid-first thinking that kind of production sustains over time. It doesn't. But what we did see, despite the results not being there, despite Diggs finishing as the wide receiver 10 in fantasy points per game, we did see Diggs still average 9.7 targets per game, lead the league with 22 end zone targets, and his rate of targets, 20-plus yards downfield, increased from 9% in his record-breaking season to 17%. And yet, again, the results didn't follow. And now he's being double-discounted, like behind Devontae Adams and behind even Debo Samuel at times. So I'm all over Stephon Diggs and think he should be drafted. Like, if you're doing portfolio, you're doing a lot of these drafts, you absolutely should be mixing them up right behind Cooper Cup because, like, he very easily could outscore Cooper Cup this year. Love that. I like it. I'll, I'll just add for, for just the on, on the brand, hashtag for the brand, uh, T, T. Higgins, I can see myself um, – or I can see a scenario where all of the volume just so happens to funnel to T. Higgins for the touchdowns. And he, and he trips into all the touchdowns or the – you know, the, tar- the targets, the yards, et cetera, that we all think is going to chase. And I think that they're both going to be great, but you know, you can convince me that, you know, m- maybe Higgins ends up with more volatility on the touchdown end uh, and ends up beating out chase. So I think that he could be a, a little bit more of a, a dark horse there as a uh, wide receiver. Uh, number one, overall. Remember T Higgins came back from injury in week five. And since that time through this postseason, he's played 16 games with Jamar chase, a full season. Well, old full season. And, and those last 16 games together, Chase only has six more targets and five more catches. Yeah. Um, so like the production is there for T. Higgins to emerge as like the one A to Jamar Chase. Yep. I know Theo didn't want to hear mine, but mine mine would be uh, after the top three CD Lamb. No, like it. That you guys didn't mention. Would, would yeah, he was uh, yeah, he was uh, he was on, yeah, narrow, narrow target trees that we talk about often. Um I feel like it, it's kind of nice that he didn't pop too much last year because it gives you gives you an opportunity to maybe get him in a drop uh, uh, at a value. That they're in the Cowboys are in such a odd situation because we know turnovers don't sustain year to year, and they created the most turnovers last year on defense. So that's not going to happen again. They also lost significant personnel on defense. So they're going to be worse, which tells us that's great because they need to keep their foot on the gas, and that's better for Dak and everyone. CeeDee Lamb, I, I know he was basically a bust last year, but he still led Amari Cooper in targets per route rate, uh, 24% to Cooper's 18%, a target percent on the route run. So overall, like CeeDee Lamb already showed he earned the targets over Cooper, and now Cooper gets out of the way. Not only that, but like James Washington, a walking boot in June. Uh, Jalen Tolbert's injured as well. They're using Simi Fihoku in their first team lineup in OTAs. And Fihoku's the guy, I don't, I don't know how much y'all know about like the deep rookies, but like he went away for five years. Like he's already, I think he's 26, 27, because he went on a mission, like a, a religious mission, and then showed back up in college, played a couple years and got drafted. Like he's so far behind progress. And that's who's their third receiver right now. So like it's only wheels up for CeeDee Lamb this year. Nice. Let me uh, throw in, a, I don't know if we want to finish it here, but I, I got to ask a week 17 type of question here. So you talked about the games like the Buffalo Cincy game, uh, you know, the Denver, um, the Denver game, you've got the LA games. Are you, when you're building your builds, are you 
shying away from them in the sense that you know everyone else is trying to build those stacks or are you maybe like you talked about it earlier but i'm just wondering like are you trying to sprinkle in sprinkle in those correlations in your builds as much as you can maybe the the top three or four games that you like um in that game in that week or in those last three weeks how are you playing that like are you sprinkling that in as much or is it just like you're doing a build you start your your buffalo guys and then you throw in your cincy guys with it like how are you approaching that kind of in your portfolio as a whole with those week 17 those, those like top games offensive games that we're you know kind of attracted to right now as we as we draft Honestly, it's not too complicated of an answer. I, I'm just keeping them as guidelines, not blueprints. Like, I even star players after my first couple picks. I was like, okay, this is what happens in week 17. I'll keep these guys in the queue just to remember. Maybe I need to reach like half a round on these guys, and I don't mind that. But if they don't get there, that's fine. I still pretty much only prioritize to make sure over everything, double stacks in my quarterback. That's what I want, whether it be RB wide receiver, tight end wide receiver. I prefer to have that. That way I soak up off like an offensive blow up perhaps rather than like a game blow up. I just want to make sure I get the offense. So I still think it's very important to have them. But again, if you happen to miss out on a couple guys here and there, in 20-round FFPC, it's easier because then you can reach for the, the wide receiver four or if this team you expect to play multi-tight ends, maybe maybe getting a guy late like a Harrison Bryant, who I think is actually a pretty good value. Um, but yeah, that that's kind of how I handle it. Again, I, I don't I, I don't stick to it religiously, but I absolutely pay attention to it. Okay. Is there is there a particular player in the first round? We can extend it to the first fifteen to eighteen picks if you'd like that you're just avoiding. That you think there's a player you don't want exposure to this year. That's an interesting question. Um, I'm kind of looking over everyone right now. I I still take him, but I don't think I like, and I probably will switch up taking Joe Mixon because his targets weren't sticky last year. We got it for his last four games, and more importantly, his postseason run, but... Other than that, like there were times he had zero targets towards the end of the season last year. And again, that's not the kind of profile I want to spend on a first round running back, especially with Samaj P. Ryan lurking. And Chris Evans wasn't healthy at all through the second half of the season whenever they were trying to actually disperse him in a third down role in the first half. So Joe Mixon, I would say, is the one I'm most tepid about. I'm a big Joe Mixon guy, but I got to tell you, I've been drafting a lot of Chris Evans. <laughs> no. No, no Samaji Pirine, all, all of the Chris Evans in the 1920th round of the mm-hmm. football guys and the, the best balls. It's going to be one of them. I still don't mind mixing it up, um, but I, I don't have a preference, honestly, because I've been drafting both as well. like it. Want to do one more question, or are you guys? Uh, all right, we're at a buck. We're at a yeah. buck thirty. Uh, John's been way more generous, and for you know full disclosure, <laughs> this is like his third, third or thirtieth show of the day. And- I, I I was about to put in the private chat. I think my eyes are getting heavy, guys. No, I'm, no, having, we, I'm we having a great. Steve, I'm having a great time. My brain power only goes so far. We we've squeezed that lemon. You know when your wife yeah. leaves the lemon, she squeezes all the juice out of it, uh, but she still puts half of it in the in, in the fridge. I'm about to I'm about to squeeze some lemons into gin <laughs> glasses. So yeah, there you go. There you go, dude. You were awesome. Uh, th- this was I know this was just the the information that you're you know the the rapid fire information that we were able to share. Hopefully the audience uh, got some value out out of that. 
John, why don't you remind the people of all the goodness you have going on right now, what you have coming up. You talked about you're going to be looking at all 32 teams individually. Anything else you want to share uh, before we close this out? Yeah, my team previews, they're not going to be out for probably three weeks to a month, eh, a couple weeks actually. Uh, we're going to time them with the opening of training camps. But right now, if you go to the website, 44.com, you will get not only the underdog top 250 that I talked about earlier for a CSV for free right now too, I believe. My best ball tiers for the time being are also free. So you can go read them before I jostle them behind paywalls whenever that's going to strike, probably in the next couple weeks, honestly. So get ahead of that. Also, Subscribe to the most accurate podcast on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, because that's where I am for the John and John show every Thursday, not to mention the four for four YouTube channel. I'm basically everywhere in the world. So you will, you will find me if you look up John Daigle. Yeah, we, we love having you on, man. Uh, you know, like we said, third time, we, hopefully we get you on for a fourth uh, and a fifth and, and, and beyond, but uh, we appreciate your, your time tonight. Theo, we got uh, we got some bangers coming. I know we talked about the show with Nelson that just passed. If you guys missed that, go check it out because there was a ton of goatness on that one. Who do we have coming up tomorrow and beyond, Theo? Yeah, so we, June, June, and June, July, August. I mean, we're going to get you ready for for to win your leagues this year in the Goat District. Tomorrow we have Ian Harditz of PFF coming on for a special two o'clock show. Uh, Monday we have Jared Smola of Draft Sharks. Um, who anybody who's seen Jared on on the Goat District before, he always is just great. Um, and then we have Jack Miller um, of, from Established to Run coming on next Thursday. Um, he's a repeat guest to the to the Goat District as well. Uh, Jack will do. We'll talk a lot of best ball. So if you join John tonight, you're going to definitely enjoy uh, listening to Jack next week. And then we've lined up a lot of our high stakes um, NFFC FFPC winners. They'll, they'll be coming back on the Goat District. Um, end of June, July, August. Uh, we have a lot of a lot of people committed. So a lot of the shows you enjoyed from last summer, you'll get those as well this summer. That's a that's a hell of a lineup. That's uh those are all oh, my good friends. Time. That's a hell of a lot of yeah. what we do, man. Good, good job to our we're booking not, manager. It's not a booking. We're not messing around. Booking manager. Those those interns are booking really good. No, guys. no, 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 no. What, the promotion happened long ago. That's a booking manager, Daigle. Okay. That's that's <laughs> it. That's it. I, I'm excited. I listen to the show, so I'm excited. Yeah. No, Love we it. appreciate that. For sure. Andrew, you had uh, you had something to close. Yeah, two, two nonsense for you, Daigle. One, is that predictably irrational behind your left shoulder on your bookshelf? Is that what uh, that book is? I believe so. Which one? Nice. The orange right and one? blue. Orange it, and blue. It is, yeah. Um, so, so the You're great good. the great Jonathan Bells is like my brother. He's a very, very good friend of mine. And um, I steal books from him anytime I go see him. Um, he has a condo in Miami now. And yeah. that – and never split the difference, which is a book on how to make decisions in life, which is something I talk about all the time because, you know, we all make decisions literally every day and it matters so much. But in particular, betting, fantasy and DFS, we no. make decisions even more than a normal person. But um, never split the difference is a book about making the proper decisions by an FBI agent who was the individual who used to talk down individuals from like jumping off buildings. And so um, that book is incredible. I, I suggest that one to everyone. I'm I love it. Sure. Glad I asked the question. And by the way, it was a hell of a book cover snipe by me over your left. That shoulder. is a Unbe good job. Unbelievable. Man. Unbelievable. That is I can't believe you even saw that, to be honest. That's, that's, un that's, un also, uh, that's also Johnny Manziel, the Browns. The you, you, you could tell when, when Andrew's not staying at the, the, the La Quinta Inn, he's, he's on the ball, man. But when he gets right. to La Quinta, he's, he's the uh, yeah, just the, the brain power. 
Yeah. So then the last question is, are you a normal human being who likes to do your underdog drafts on dark mode or are you a sociopath <laughs> who uh, does, the, does uh, the light mode? It's a, it's a running bit. Well, it's not a bit because I still stay true to it and I enjoy it. I'm actually on light mode. Uh, oh, no. Not not a proper take. Well, Everyone well, hates that, it. Well, that's why your eyes are so heavy. You got to switch to dark mode. You'll be uh, way more energized. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, may, maybe so. But I like to I like to think it's different because everyone uses dark. I even have a Twitter in light mode too, which is, again, oh, no. very unique. But I like I don't know. I like light mode. I like it. And I'll, no, I'll okay, give a, I'll give a, a quick shout out before uh, because uh, John mentioned uh, B Bag Batoba, aka Skywalker. Um, the guys from First and Fifteen Pod, Abib, Chris, and Deo, all just joined into our Hardway Dynasty League yes. that we're all in with Justin Herzig and a number of uh, a number of former uh, go, go guests. Austin Martin's in that league. No, Riddell's in that league. A ton of ton of people have been on the Go District. So welcome to those guys, and give a listen to Force and Fifteen. Uh, they're friends of the show. Noah Noah Rudell's gonna get too rich one day for the Hardway draft, and I'm gonna jump into <laughs> it then. He's gonna he's gonna he's gonna have too much of crypto. He's gonna stop caring about football, and that's when I'm gonna take his spot. I love it. Noah actually has built has a has been building this monster for like two years. Um, not really a productive struggle, but kind of. And all of a sudden, his team is just loaded. So he might be printing printing money in the hardway league for the next couple of years, at least competing for that it. Or he's paying attention to it. Now that crypto's down a little bit. Yeah. yeah. 100%. I think Dan and I cashed in that one. No, that's, that's you did. We, you we did. cashed in Dan that. and I cash in, in literally every dynasty that we share, which is impressive considering the leagues that we're in. Um, yeah, man, this tonight was tonight was awesome guys. Again, underdog, you're not signed up. Use the code district. You'll get up to a hundred dollars match. My FFPC tag, Andrew, Theo, JD, myself, or at Goat District will hook you up with an exclusive sign-up bonus on the FFPC site. And guys, Viridian Global, man, all the Goat gear you need, plus a shit ton of fantasy football gear. For any pod that you like, any player you like, go check it out, ViridianGlobal.com. If you're looking for the Goat stuff, it's ViridianGlobal.com forward slash collection forward slash Goat District. You guys have been awesome. Check us out on Spotify, YouTube, and all the goodness. We'll check you all. You know the Pope listens Dynasty our religion For the blokes missing On all of these trades On all of these plays On all of these grades By the end of the day Y'all getting played So what you gonna do next? Try to fill up that flex Send the homie a text That trash offers the best You try to make it complex Then they text you back Now all of a sudden They don't make any sense <laughs> Broaden your horizons boy Dynasty's not for the Simons boy these trades not for consignment, boy. Respect your opponent, y'all some piranhas, boy. This my advice from me to you. Open up your cute little podcast queue. Search up G-O-A-T district, my dude. Pop it in your ear, man. Y'all know what to do. It's the... And I'll always be trading. 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 And I'll always be trading. Trading. And I'll always be trading. Y'all try to betray them, but first you gotta bait them. Fish. Fish, fish, fish. 
with heavy eyes, John sticks her on after the the outro, man. That's hardcore. We love dude, you, dude. My eye, I didn't notice it. The last ten minutes, my eyes were getting really. <laughs> I was hitting. I was. I'm definitely hitting a wall. My, my that last question, I think I answered for thirty seconds because like my juice is just gone. I'm done, dude. We we appreciate every minute you've given us. Of course, uh, no, sure, I, I love yeah. I love doing this. I, I'll always come back on. Always invite me back on. I tried. You're you're just a machine on some of this stuff, and it's very impressive. What was the stat you gave us with the? The, it was a McVay running back started. It was 80% of the team's touches. Every, every game in the regular season um, that a running, McVay running back wasn't injured, that player finished the game, the starter, with 80, at least 80% of the team's touches. Um, it, got, it got skewed in the postseason because they had no choice but to start giving – both Henderson and Michelle more touches because Acres was so bad. They shouldn't have rushed him back. It was a cool yeah. story, but he was very bad. But in the regular season, they only used one running back. That's awesome. That's, That's an awesome stat. Serious stat. Yeah. More goatness right there. See? A little, little extra. A little B side on, on the end of that uh, outro. <laughs> you gotta you gotta re-listen to the John Daigle uh, podcast to get those those extra little nuggets you might have just and I try to I try to slow down to make sure I hit emphasize those, but yeah, sometimes I just start speaking about everything too fast. No, it was awesome. No, nah, man, your your energy's awesome. You you and John Lobb win the the energy awards for sure, man. John <laughs> Daigle and John Lobb for sure bringing the energy always at the district. And uh, it's always fun talking to you, man. Yeah, no, I know. I genuinely love doing this show. So definitely just have me back on again. And um, either way, we will all talk over the offseason. For and, sure. Um, hopefully let's talk sooner than Vegas. For sure. Yeah, we'll try 100%. to get you on for a ball. We should do an underdog uh, live draft, do a ball-in episode. I'd love to. Um, yeah, get me one on the special shows for a live draft for sure. Awesome. Awesome. Awesome, right. John. Take, Appreciate it, man. Take care, John. Thanks, Later, boys.